Welcome back to What's Your Favorite Scary Movie. I'm Sarah. I'm Verona. And today we are finally talking about The Babysitter Killer Queen. I personally love this one so much more than the original, and I already love the original, so I'm very excited to finally talk about it. We finally made it. Did it, Joe! This one is set two years after the first one, but they filmed it like four years later, so the characters definitely look like a little older than just two years, but like, I'll let it slide. Teenagers like age weird. Sometimes it's really fast, sometimes it's really slow. So we'll let it slide. It's fine. But it's kind of like what we were talking about with Cole going from being so, so tiny to like a fully grown man. Very scary. Puberty hit him like a fucking freight train. That is a grown man. No, literally. Like, I always forget. But when we first started this one, I was like, oh my god, that's a man. Like, he's a full grown adult. Like, he pays taxes and shit. He doesn't because he's still a junior in high school in this. But like, he looks, he went from like a literal baby child like no more than two apples tall to now he's like a full-grown fucking tree and now by the time we get the third one it's going to be another four years which is crazy at least four years if not more because it's definitely more because they filmed part two i think in 2019 or 2018 it came out in 2020 so yeah because i know they filmed the first one in 2015 And it didn't come out until 2017. Yeah, they filmed in 2019 for this one. So if they film this year, it'll be five years. Which, isn't it crazy that this movie came out almost four years ago this year? I don't like that. 2020 was so much more recent. Four years ago. I don't like that. I don't like the thought of that at all. It starts off with Cole having a nightmare about, you know, the, the horrors of everything he's experienced. There's a really great shot where he goes into the fridge and he gets himself a glass of milk and as he like turns around to do something, the milk turns into blood. The shot of it turning into blood is so gorgeous. Like Verona and I both love, especially Verona, love a blood on white motif or like even just a red on white. It's so good. It's so pretty looking. It's so perfect. I've always loved it, but I think I, like, found a really deep love for it after we watched The Handmaid's Tale, Um, because obviously that's a huge, huge thing that they use in that show, and so now I see it, like, in everything, and I'm so obsessed with it, and I love it in this. I also really like that the red on white generally is supposed to kind of like a blood on driven snow kind of situation. And so I really like that he like goes and pours himself this little glass of milk. And I kind of forgot how, or forgot that the movie opens with this nightmare scene. But I remember as he does that, I'm like, who the hell just drinks a glass of milk? I know that's a thing, but like, that's such like a nerdy, funny, like little kid thing to do. So the fact that it like turned into blood was very foreshadowing and cool. Okay, good. I also just love the symbolism because it is very much like tainting something that is pure with something that is evil. And I think that's probably why they had him get a glass of milk because obviously this wouldn't really work with like anything. Like if you did this with like orange juice, like it's not going to look like it's not going to give you the same effect. So I'll let it slide. The fact that he was just drinking a glass of milk and nothing else. Like, do you know what I'm not going to let slide, though? I'm not going to let it slide, though, that he was so concerned about being bullied, but was wearing a fucking corduroy suit to school every day. Multiple days in a row. Right. Like, not to victim blame, but, like, 
I don't know, that doesn't seem like harm reduction in my opinion. If you're getting your ass beat at school every day, why would you wear a corduroy suit to school every day? And why were you also trying to put a hoodie over that suit? Like the part where the guy ties the hoodie into a straight jacket behind him. Why are you putting a hoodie over a corduroy suit? How the fuck are you cold? I also just, there's a great line in the beginning when he's talking to the guidance counselor slash nurse. And he's like, that's your advice? He's like, that's what the fuck just came out of my mouth. Yeah. That's very us. I love the like running gag of him getting the flu shot and then it cutting to the dodgeball hitting him in the head that they did in the first one. And then I love that it like hits him in the head and it's like babysitter and then it hits him a second time to be like two. So good. Such a good running bit. I really like the detail also because of his big like crush on Melanie, this ongoing years long crush. Every time she comes up to him and talks to him, everything in the background goes slow-mo. It's so sweet. Additionally, like another little Melanie thing is even though they're like literally sacrificing Boom Boom and trying to take Cole's blood and like become demons, despite all of that, her friends are all kind of like only half mean, which is just a really funny detail and it's just really nice. They're very like silly, whimsical little characters. Jenna Ortega, fucking icon and scream queen. This was such an incredible introduction to a character. I had previously seen her in You season two, so I was already like obsessed with her by the time this came out. But as I had previously mentioned in the first episode, my dad loves these movies and this was his first time seeing her. And after he watched it, he came to me and he's like, that girl's going to be a star. And I was like, I know I keep telling you to watch the show You, she's on it. But he like still to this day talks about her in this movie. And like he's seen like pretty much everything else that she's done. Your dad's taste is so funny because it's so good. Like he's always recommending us like the coolest movies ever. And they're just like not movies you would associate with like somebody's parent recommending to you. Yeah, like the 1986 movie Trick or Treat. We love that one, but the Trick or Treat with Ozzy Osbourne and like a couple other people. And it's uh, about the rock star who dies and like possesses the record to get this kid to like do his evil bidding. It's just so good. Like shit like that. So good. And then he's also the one who recommended Riverdale. No, but Gossip was him. I have a list on Letterboxd of like movies that my dad has recommended to me. He unfortunately has like banger taste in movies. Jenna Ortega, now I don't get as much of the same vibe because like she's really, when I look at her now, I'm like, okay, like that's like, that's an adult. That's a grown woman. But for this era of her career, like you, Babysitter Killer Queen, X, I had this kind of like, weird parasocial thing not like a oh my god we're literally friends like i see her movies and therefore like we're best friends it was like a this very strange niche parasocial situation with jen ortega in this era where i was like that's like my younger sister who's 200 times cooler than me but i kind of have to like look out for her because she constantly was playing these characters getting into like terrible situations And I was like, that is my very cool, edgy younger sister who I need to protect and take care of. Jenna Ortega is a grown woman. She was not even a child, like, filming this. Like, still a grown woman. But I just... The characters all had this very cooler-than-you little sister vibe to them. And it put me in this, like, very weird mind space when I would watch anything she was in where I'm like, No, Jenna! Jenna, that's not safe. Trust me, I have lived experience. Don't do that. Like, no. So funny. Especially, like, the movie The Fallout, where you're like, girl. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, literally, I almost said everything she's in is incredible, but that's not true. Because Gurley picks questionable projects, especially as of late. But she is always the most incredible part of everything that she's in. 
Mm-hmm. So that's okay. But like for a while, she had a really like banger filmography, like track record. And now I'm like, okay, we're just saying yes to anything that comes our way. But again, I will watch because kind of like a once in a lifetime talent that we're witnessing and i love it it really is yeah she's very uh unique actress she just seems like a very like well-spoken person she's really interesting to like watch interviews from so i'm always excited when i see her in something new and like you said sometimes it's just something so fucking weird but then she's always the best part of it so it's fine i really like that the mural on cole's wall has changed from like the diagram of the solar system to the like totally deserted like dead surface of the planet instead probably honest to god a meaningless detail i just thought it was really nice it kind of like to me if i wanted to look really hard into it and my have my the curtains are never just blue moment it really reminds me of like that like childlike wonder and how like big the world is and how like gorgeous and cool everything is so he has like the whole solar system and now he's like much more jaded he's a little older he's experienced the horrors He has trauma. He's a very, like, unhappy person. And it's just kind of this, like, very sad, deserted scene of his whole room, which is just really nice. To be honest, I think that is what they were going for. Because I am also, uh, the curtains are never just blue-ass bitch. Especially knowing the people that, like, work on movies. I'm like, I know all of you thought out every single last detail. And that is why it's there. And that is why I will always appreciate it. And that is why I will corn plate fucking anything because (laughs) those people did not put in hard work for me to not do that. I'm so glad that's how you said it because it's so true. I'm not going to get on a rant right now about how um, the digital footprint is only real for our lifetime and how there's going to be nothing for anthropologists to find of the way that we exist right now. But I'm so sad about that because I'm like, I would love to for like in a couple hundred years for anthropologists to be like, Let's discuss the term corn plating. Like that you just said that, like, <laughs> about digital footprint, and then tears immediately sprang to my eyes. Because that was so true and beautiful of you. But also, why the fuck would you say that to me? I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm fragile. I feel like I just captured both of our personalities so perfectly in that, like, very short moment from that exact exchange. You did. So in his room there, speaking of the room, um, we have that scene with Cole's dad when he comes in and like everyone's making fun of him for like apparently jerking off so much because he has this huge bottle of lotion. But then the scene kind of shifts very quickly from funny to like very sad. Cole's dad, I had a note for last Babysitter movie too and I never ended up saying it. Like it just kind of, I think got cut, but I was like saying how Cole's dad is like one of my favorite movie dads. Like he's got to be like top five movie dads for me and i really like that scene after the comedy of it dies down from like all the masturbation jokes he's having this conversation with cole and cole is like trying so hard to convince him that everything he saw in the first movie is real of course we know it's real we were there we were watching the movie but we're there of course his dad doesn't believe him because it sounds it's you know it's impossible whatever this is the dilemma of like most kids in horror movies he plays this scene really sad and it really like tugs the heartstrings a little bit because if you do look at it from the dad's point of view it's kind of the same thing it reminds me of like andy's mom and chucky where it's not just that like she doesn't believe him and she like thinks that he's like uh uh-huh he's nuts like what's going on with my kid that's like so inconvenient that they're crazy it's a lot more emotional than that because of course like he and his wife are planning to send cole away to get psychiatric help and 
there's this great shot where it switches back and forth between Cole and his dad, and you can see that they're both so desperate for the outcome of this conversation to go their way, and it, like, doesn't, obviously, because Cole is so desperate for his dad to believe him, and he walks away from the conversation obviously still not believing him, and Cole's dad is so desperate for Cole to just be like, oh, I'm sorry that I lied. And they can all move past it, but they can't. And like, that's his kid. Like, that's very sad. I love that scene. I love that scene. In the words of Kurt Kunkel, sometimes <laughs> I just hear Bowie <laughs> behind me go, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I had these thoughts. You say these thoughts that like I hadn't even thought yet. Like they were in my brain. I just hadn't thought them yet. In the same, this is what also why I think that you and my dad are the same person. Because like you love Cole's dad, my dad loves Juan and Archie's subplot in this movie so much. He thinks it's like the funniest fucking thing in the world. He will constantly quote it. The part in this where the words come up and it says "what the fuck" again with like the hook. I got a coffee cup for my dad years ago for Christmas that has that, and he loves it. It's his favorite coffee cup. That being said, the twist in this movie got me more than the first one did. I just wasn't expecting it. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be Melanie all of a sudden. I don't know. It just, like, it really shocked me. And it's very rare that you can go into not only, like, a horror movie, but, like, a sequel to a horror movie and not already kind of know what to expect or kind of know where it's gonna go. You know, you're expecting her to be the victim and he's coming to save her this time. And especially with the introduction of a new character like Phoebe, of course you're going to be like, oh, either she's involved somehow or she's also going to be like a victim of it. Yeah, the hook death is so icky, especially when she like drops the hook after and it has like just a bit of flesh still on it because you can't really like, it's not like a knife cutting a throat. It's not like going to be a clean situation. It like pulled some skin off with it. So gross. And Diego is just so relatable. Diego's like my favorite, I think, of the friend group. Him being so excited to go to an escape room and being like, we can't do like the demon stuff for too late because I have plans tomorrow. Love him so much. But the part where everybody starts coming back from the original, like I was hype as fuck watching this for the first time. And it never gets old. Like I still get that like excited feeling in my chest when I rewatch it. Bella Thorne falling through the fucking window and like not being able to get on the couch through the window in her heels is so funny. That was my Avengers Endgame moment where like everyone starts coming back this was mine <laughs> i love it and then i also love them showing like them coming back and then as soon as you see them you see the clip of their death from the first one they're like just in case you forgot and then bella thorne has one of my favorite lines in this like so many of her lines are incredible in this but like one of my favorite lines in this movie is luckily the devil gives good head love her allison is such an iconic character i will say i don't love the costume downgrade they gave her in this one. I like the heels. The heels were a really nice touch, but I wish they had kept the cheerleading uniform. I wish that like they had almost done it like reverse. Like this, the tracksuit suits the runners. The heels should have been with like the cheer skirt. I don't hate the outfit. It looks fine. It looks great. It's a workout outfit. She's supposed to be like an athlete. That's totally fine. But at the same time, I was like, where's the like iconic like cheerleader outfit? You know, why is she wearing yellow skinny jeans? I don't like that. Let's leave colored skinny denim in like 2010 to 2000. Were they jeans or just like fitted track pants? They were pants? jeans. 
That's even worse. I literally this entire time thought that they were like a fitted, it was like a fitted tracksuit. So, which would have been better than jeans. And skinny jeans. Also, not too much on the colored skinny jeans, okay? We have a bit of an age gap in this friendship, and I need you to, like, cool it. No, because I used to love them from Hot Topic, especially, like, the split legs where, like, one was black and one was, like, turquoise. I had a pair of those, but I didn't get them from Hot Topic. My friend had them custom made, and we had, like, the opposite pair of each other. He had one pair and I had the other. He was a skinny dude. We wore the same size. I love that. That's so my high iconic. school bestie. And he had the. We had them. They were black and red. They were like Harley Quinn pants. And I had that them for so years. Iconic. Listen, colored denim, fine. Yellow skinny jeans, not well, fine. Well, Kate, not too much on the yellow skinny jeans. Just Why? calm down. <laughs> Verona forgets all the time that I was not only a scene kid, but also a candy kid. I'll allow it in that context, not in this context. Yeah, I wasn't like doing like yellow skinny jeans with like a peplum shirt and like a yeah. statement necklace to the club. Like it wasn't like a very Stassi Schroeder coated. <laughs> right. No, no. It was like intentionally garish and ugly because it was like alt culture. But still, not too much on the yellow skinny jeans. I love Phoebe so much. I love when she returns, um, especially so early in the movie, because the first time I saw this, I remember thinking like, God, I hope she's not just like here intermittently. I hope she's like back in this all the time. I love when he explains all of the lore to her. And there's this moment where you're like trying to figure out if she's going to believe him or not. And then she gets so like relieved and she's like, oh my God, thank God. I thought you were going to like tell me this was a zombie thing. I hate zombies so much. She's another great horror character. Like these movies gave me two of my favorite horror characters so I will always be grateful for them I have already said so many times how much I love Max how I think he's such a funny character he probably is also another one of my favorite horror characters ever again Robbie Amal comedic genius so incredible I love throughout this movie how much he encourages Cole to stand up for himself like even more so than he did in the first one like he is just constantly being like like, yeah, bro, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what I taught you. Like, shit like that throughout the whole movie. While he's trying to kill him. I love that. Again, I love that he remains shirtless the entire film. I love that even in the flashback, he's shirtless when he's a fry cook and his name tag is stuck to his chest. Like, that's so good. And then I love that his whole motivation for wanting to be in this cult is just to get to kill people. He doesn't have any dreams. He doesn't have any goals. Everyone else is like, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. Like, I want this, this, and this. He's just like, I just want to kill someone. He's actually so real for that because he, in his flashback, we just see like how garbage his life is and how miserable he is. And he's like, I just want a way to like let that out. And I'm like, so true. I also just love Phoebe forgetting she's she was pregnant. Like such a great moment to like kill the mood in that scene. They're having like this beautiful moment together talking about like life and being really deep. He's like, that's a really bleak outlook about death for someone who's about to bring new life into the world. And she's like, huh? And he's like, cause you, cause you're pregnant. She was like, oh no, 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 no. I made that up. I also like forgot that I made that up. No, it's fine. <laughs> Like, she's so fucking funny and so cool. Her scene at the campfire goes back to that familiar horror versus unfamiliar horror. This being an unfamiliar horror movie. This doesn't happen to anyone. This is very supernatural, silly, over the top. But then she's alone with a grown man and nobody knows where she is. And he's very, like, creepy and overbearing. And it's like, it adds that different flavor of dread into the horror of it all. And another one of those feelings that we talk about a lot where, like, you think you're safe for, like, 
a moment and you're like, oh my God, I got away. And then it's like, no, nah, there's something else here now. Because, you know, she has that like tiny moment of relief when he's like, oh yeah, of course, like I'll drive you back. Like I'm just waiting for my wife. She's getting firewood. Like she'll be back in a second. And she's like, oh my God, okay, good. And they're like sitting there and talking for a little bit. And then she's like, hey, where's your wife? Like, can we go? Like, I have to go now. And then he's like, I don't have a wife. Horrifying. I do love the look of Jenna. Like we've talked about Jenna being just an insane actress in her subtleties a lot. But I love the slow look of amazement on her face when Cole comes to her rescue. Oh, I also just, as a side note, had a single note on here that was like, Awful fucking looking cookies once again. Sonia. And then I made the joke. I was like, can't kill children. Can't bake cookies. Damn, bitch. What can you do? She had the coolest, in my opinion, like if I had to rank the deaths, I think hers is my favorite in this movie with the surfboard decapitating her. It's so good. My personally, Allison, I love that death, but I love Sonia's too. I also love that she is literally trying to kill these children, but she still has morals, so she's still gonna kill the rapist first. Yeah, her little silence rapist. Very funny. Like, just in the middle of all this. So we come up on Allison finding them next, and no one really likes animal deaths in their movies. Um, I will say it's really fucking funny that the rabbit- like, they don't make it a sad death, and it literally just fucking explodes. And I, it takes a second and you're like, oh my God, like that's so scary. And then when she's like coming down and like talking to them and then she shoots the deer. It's not even a Glock. It's like an old ass, like colonial era pistol thing. Looks like it weighs like 600 pounds. She's like waving it around. It's like making her wrist crack. It's fucking crazy. Her tiny, delicate wrists. Um, so she shoots the rabbit with her like handgun, her pistol, and it explodes. And you're like, oh, that's crazy. It must've been like a lot of force. It's a small animal, whatever. And then later when she shoots the deer, like just a few moments later, and the whole deer explodes, <laughs> except for the legs, which are still standing upright. Like, it's so funny. It's the only time that I've seen like an animal death or deaths in a horror movie and not been like deeply saddened because it just happens so quickly and it's done so stupidly that the reaction is to laugh. Like, it's so silly. And I think that more horror movies that are like intending to incorporate some kind of animal death in them, I think this is the route they should go. Like, if you have to do it, please make it funny. Make me laugh and like forget about it in the next scene as opposed to like just being upset about it. Just explode them. Make them like burst. Yeah. Um, first of all, I love Allison getting shot in the boob once again. And this time by her own doing. She's shooting around at random and then it ricochets off the rock and comes back to impale her in the same exact spot as the first one and she gets so angry and then I just love you know they get away because they slide down the rocks and she tries to do the same thing and her boobs get caught on the rocks and so then they yank her down and they rip her head off and then her body gets smashed by a boulder I just love how like icky and graphic and creative the deaths are in these movies because like these are technically slashers. You could very, very easily just make them like, you know, run of the mill deaths. But no, they were like, eh, why not? Why not do it this way? I had talked about this in the Krampus episode, actually. But the, like a good horror comedy, it needs to be extremes on both ends. Like if you want to be making the jokes and like having fun with it, you have to be doing something absolutely crazy with the horror. It has to be over the top. It has to be gory, schlocky, silly, something. In that episode, we also mentioned these movies as an example of how to do it right. And re-watching them, it's just so clear that like, yeah, these are 
the example, like one of the prime examples of doing a horror comedy right. Not everyone's gonna like a horror comedy. A lot of people that I know that are like in the horror community don't really love a lot of horror comedy. They prefer like campy or kind of like more accidental or like a little schlocky, but like this is not really their brand of horror comedy. But in my opinion, regardless of whether or not you enjoy these movies or this kind of movie, I do think they're a great example of what like doing it right looks like. The over the top silly deaths, if the media suits it, if the setting suits it, which this does, and then you can go as funny and stupid on the comedy as you want with basically no consequence because you're still getting all that gore and like fun horror. And again, these movies use so many practical effects and I love that and I appreciate them so much. Like obviously there's times like when they're exploding animals or Allison's head in the first one, they can't do something practical there but like it still never feels like over the top cgi like they don't you know they don't just do it just to do it and again another thing we just talk about often it's one of those great examples of using cgi to complement your visual effects as opposed to replacing your visual effects exactly again that's like good horror does that they use like the combination of both they take advantage of cgi where they can't push those limits with vfx and then they use it to kind of just complement it again as opposed to just cutting out the work and the art of vfx exactly my literal next note is all the way down to when they go to phoebe's cabin and they're in the shelter in the basement and like just to be funny she scares him and he like turns around and pees on her i would never recover the fact that she had sex with him after that is like what's really crazy right right because, like, again, I would never be able to recover, which is how I know she is so much cooler than I am. Because if I if I was either of them, I would have to immediately go kill myself. I would just be like, cool, thank you, bye. One thing that I really like is the, juxtaposi- the juxtaposition between Phoebe and Cole, where we kind of see Cole, like, despite the fact that he is a lot more jaded in this movie than the first one, he's kind of supposed to be, like, the innocent, doofy kid. And he keeps, like, making stupid references, like, bad pop culture references. And, like, you get kind of secondhand embarrassment from him in general when he does stuff. He's, like, very negative. And not in, like, a a surface level way. He's just, he has these, like, very dark feelings. And Phoebe, on the other hand, is so, like, edgy and outwardly, like, brash and mean and, like, whatever. But she also has, like, what I think most people think is, like, a very bleak and sad outlook on death. But she sees all of these, like, signs and these coincidences that are, like, leading her to Cole and, like, leading her to the house and, like, the creepy note and, like, her old stuffy in her locker and stuff. She sees these as, like, good omens, whereas Cole sees them as bad omens. And I just think it's, like, a really cool, like, juxtaposition of, like, their outward and inward personalities. I really like Phoebe because... I have a lot of really, like, surface-level, admittedly, like, amateur interest in death and afterlife philosophy, and I'm also used to hearing from people that maybe, like, some of my views or my thoughts on situations are, like, really bleak or bad or dark, and they're like, you sound like you're depressed or, like, whatever, and I'm like, no, I find this, like, very comforting, and not in, like, a cool goth kid way where I'm like, the ultimate sleep of death, go back to the dark one. Like, not that vibe, just more like, the more that I learn and the more that I think about, you know, existence and life and death and whatever, like, the more comforted I am by the wisdom that's out there, I guess. Um, Which is kind of how Phoebe is, because she's explaining, like, 
she's faced so much loss in her life. She lost B and both of her parents all at the same time. She had, like, absolutely no one. And then she, like, had to go through the system. Very, like, jaded person for those reasons. But she's kind of explaining that she's like, oh, I don't really think there's, like, an afterlife. I think that when you die, that's kind of just the end of it. It's just black and it's done. And he's like, that's a terrible outlook. She's like, oh, I was, like, explaining why I'm happy about that. <laughs> like, that's very comforting to me. And I was like, that's such a relatable feeling that, like, anyone kind of thinks that if you have any of those, like, thoughts and you think about, like, afterlife death kind of stuff that you have to be in, like, such a bad place. And it's hard to explain that it's not sometimes to people. Um, so, like, yeah, like I said, I just like the juxtaposition between her seeming outwardly so negative, but being inwardly such a positive person, and him seeming outwardly so, like, neutral, if not positive, and inwardly going through so much. They spend so much time with the ongoing grief that Cole has for B. And I do like that despite how unhappy he is in general, for a number of fucking reasons, he thinks about B in good memories. And he feels like a little guilty about it when he tells other people about it. He's like, it's weird that I miss her. To his parents or whatever about the, the B situation, He it seems like he feels guilty for missing her. But when he talks to Phoebe, who has no context of everything that's happened... He doesn't apologize for his feelings and his positive feelings towards B and how he thinks about her in a good light and his memory of her is in a good light. And it's it clearly so freeing for him to be able to just talk about how much he loved her and how great she was without that overcorrection guilt and that like self-criticism and that self-policing about how he talks about her where he has to like defend himself and be like, yeah, I love her and I miss her, but I get it's like bad and that's like just a very relatable situation also like grief such a complicated thing and then my next note was about the sex scene if you do want to talk about them now sorry this is such a funny sex scene because obviously they don't want us to actually know that they had sex yet because that's supposed to be the big reveal later when they're like oh haha the blood of the innocent isn't innocent it's tainted so i just think it's a funny way to show it I would love if they did this in more movies where they're about to have a sex scene and then they cut to like a big elaborate dance number. I just think that would be hilarious and so great. And I'm going to assume that that's what was happening in the Barbie movie with I'm Just Ken. All the Kens were having graphic gay sex on that <laughs> beach. It's also like a really nice way to use that montage of symbolism instead of showing like a weird teenage sex scene like they do in a lot of movies and TV shows. Oh, exactly. I have literally just one note that just says Wilhelm scream. Because you're right. Now that I like know it, I'm never going to not notice it in something. There's a baby version of the Wilhelm scream, which is a specific baby cry that's used in every show and movie. I think I know exactly which one you're talking about without even saying it. Super prevalent in Arthur. If you ever watched like Arthur on PBS. Did, I loved Arthur. They used the same baby cry every single time. I used to be able to do a really good impression of a baby crying. And I don't know if I still can. I want to hear not it. I'm not doing it. No, because I want to hear it. I haven't done no, it I in years. I Please, I want to hear it. No, I'm nervous now. <laughs> I have performance anxiety. Exactly, Bowie. I can do a really good, like, monkey impression. Can you do it? But I'm... No, not if you don't do the baby <laughs> one. I'm better at my stitch impression. That one I'll Everybody do Everybody can do a stitch impression. 
Fuck you, I do a better one than everyone else. Not impressed. I used to exclusively talk in the Stitch voice as a kid, which is how everyone should have known I had autism. Instead of saying anything in a regular voice, I would say in that voice, and my family would get so fucking annoyed with me because they'd be like, can you talk normally? And I'd be like, no. (laughs) The literal bucket of blood they throw in Juan's face that does not match the death at all, like, and it's only on him, and it's just, like, this huge fucking, like, wet bucket of blood to the face. Doesn't get anywhere else. Cracks me up every single time. One of my favorite bits. So good. And I also just love his line right after that when he goes, you're grounded, no Coachella, and then she cuts his arm off, and he's like, that's it, I'm taking your IUD. She cuts his other arm off. Like, I understand why a lot of people didn't like this one, because... It's not particularly everyone's humor, but I think it was so funny, and I think the cast really delivered. We can't all be Riverdale, but... Right. I also love Phoebe and Melanie's street fighter fight. Um, I love their homoeroticism. They should have lesed out together. You know what they reminded me of, which is really funny, because I think this, like, every time, and it's so funny, because she was in Gossip Girl, the bad Gossip Girl, but it reminds me so much of Jenny and Blair. You are so right. Yes, that's exactly what this reminded me of. Love B stepping out of the water. I love her. His return. Her return, best part. And you knew it was coming because they brought everybody back, but it's like... And you saw her in the flashbacks um, with a horrible wig, by the way. Mara Weaving, I'm so sorry that they did that to you. <laughs> we get to this moment at the end where everyone realizes the blood is tainted because Cole is no longer a virgin, so therefore he's no longer innocent. So everyone obviously is very mad, very upset, except for Max, who is just so elated, so happy. And he's like, I'm not even mad, bro, which is the funniest fucking part of the movie to me. Again, this whole movie, he's just encouraging Cole. He wants him to stand up for himself. He wants him to like be a man, like all this shit. And so when he finds out that, like, he has sex with Phoebe, like, he's just so happy for him. And I love that. I love Max. Such a good character. I love Phoebe and Cole getting to hug B again. Such a sweet moment. Phoebe realizing that, like, B's the reason why she's still here and, like, didn't die in the accident. Because, like, we see footage from the accident. Everyone in those two cars should have been dead. Especially a child. Especially a child in the front seat, because she's sick. She's not supposed to be in the front seat of, like, an open Jeep. There's no back seat, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, that roll cage is there for the adults in the car, not... Terribly irresponsible of her parents to have the babysitter be someone with that kind of car for your six-year-old child when six-year-olds aren't even, like, permitted to sit in the passenger seat. And the flashback to baby Cole, when B, like, goes to hold her hand out and he, like, doesn't take it for a second and it flashes back to them in the car from the first movie. Yo, I teared up. I always tear up at the end of this movie. At the end of both of the movies, I always get a little sad. I'm like, oh my god, wait. As much as I do love this one, though, like, the first one will always be, like, the best one for me but this one has jenna ortega this is one of those where like the sequel to me is on par with the original like it's not better but it's also not a downgrade and i love that she did bring up sequels in this movie she said there's like four sequels that supersede the original terminator 2 being one of them i firmly believe shrek 2 is one of the other ones I also agree, Shrek 2. I literally was texting a friend of this for like days one time. We were talking about Shrek 2. I was like, Shrek 2 is literally better than Shrek. And she had, I don't think she'd seen it or something, but she was like, we need to like research this more. Like we have to get into it. I was like, you do not fucking understand. 
Shrek 2 is so much better than Shrek. And Shrek is like one of the better animated movies of all time. 100%, yeah. Like genuinely. I feel like she's also probably talking about Aliens because I love the Alien franchise. We all know this. But it is widely regarded that Aliens is better than Alien. She also prefers Picard to Kirk in Star Trek. And I don't know if she's referring to this specifically, but The Godfather Part 2 is also regarded historically as one of the sequels that's better than the original. I can't speak to that personally. Godfather hater household over there. Listen, I will watch them one day simply so that I can hate from an informed place. And if I end up loving them... Sorry to my father. I am not the daughter that he raised. Me with the Avatar franchise, I was like, I have to watch these so that I'm not like the asshole that hasn't even seen them and like is talking shit. And then I watched them and I was like, oh, I hate these. Okay, (laughs) that's fine. At least I know now. At least I can like say that I've seen them and I'm not just like being a hater for no reason. I have not. um, But James Cameron gave me Titanic. So therefore... He can do that. I'd prefer if he didn't. I'd prefer if he started making movies like Titanic again. I want him to do something other than Avatar. So sorry, Jim. Love you. But please. I'm not even going to get on my like Avatar rant. I understand like how fucking cutting edge they are. I totally do. And I really and truly do appreciate them from a cultural standpoint and from an artistic standpoint. I think that like everything about how they're made and like the cultural impact, I think that's so incredible. Just really don't fucking like the movies, so. I get you. I get you. I know you're not one of those. Don't worry. I'm an Avatar hater, but not a James Cameron hater. We all should be obsessed with James Cameron because, again, he gave us Titanic. Not even regarding anything else he's ever made in his life. Titanic. And I don't know if anyone knows this. It's, like, really, like, a small secret. I don't really like to share it with a lot of people. I love Titanic. I have potentially the most controversial opinion about Titanic of anyone ever. What the fuck are you about to say? Watch your fucking mouth around me. I thought Titanic was pretty fucking good. And also, apparently, nobody else in the entire world shares that opinion because they either think that it was God's gift to cinema and it's the only movie to ever exist, or they're like, I don't see the hype. It's overhyped. It's actually kind of bad. I don't even like it. I'm like, no, I thought it was pretty good. I'd watch it again. It's a little long for me to like keep rewatching it all the time because I don't have like the fixation on it that a lot of people do. But like, I was like, this is a pretty good movie. And people are like, what do you mean like 3.5 to 4? No, literally. It's like a a 3.9 to 4.3. You don't get it. You have not let the depths of the ocean touch your heart and fill your soul. I'm literally a Pisces moon, by the way. Exactly. So you should feel even more fucking connected to this, you dingbat. I just think it's a great movie. Like, for some reason, that's a really controversial opinion. I was like, I watched it. I was very touched. I thought it was a great movie. I was like, this is wonderful. It is have people one heard, of, Have people heard have about people this heard movie? About this is Titanic. wonderful. It is one of the greatest love stories of all time. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. My wife is Titanic and also James Cameron. It's resplendent. And then someone would be like, I didn't really like that movie. I was like, okay. If someone tells me they don't like Titanic, I'm going to assume that they have two brain cells and they can't even rub them together. And especially if people start up that bullshit of they both could have fit on the door. You are missing the central point of the fucking movie. They also couldn't have. 
That wraps up this week's episode. Join us next week. And in the meantime, check out our link tree, which is WYFSM. That will have links to all of our socials, including our Twitter, WYFSM Podcast, as well as our Instagram, WYFSM Pod. It also has links to every other place that you can listen to our show. See you guys next week. Bye. Thank you.